he's come to her flat. She said she's overdosing on pills and he's there and he's guess what? Dead faced and cold, like fucking Mark Zuckerberging up really hard <laughs> in front of her. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> Welcome back to One Fucking Hour, the show where we have just one hour to talk about one movie. Uh, I am Evan Husney. Joined, of course, to my left, we got Tom Fitzgerald. Tom? Hi, everybody from the left side. How are we doing? <laughs> doing good, man. <laughs> and Go. uh, we also got Mr. Marcus Herring to my right. Uh, how's it going, Mr. Marcus Herring? What's up, y'all? I think Tom and I should switch backgrounds next time. Next time, definitely. Yes, I am on the road. I'm on the road again. I am off in Canada this time, so I'm across the border from y'all. Eh? And uh, that means Ramy gets to take over my spot. And Ramy Bennett, welcome back to the show, returning champion. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you. Happy to have me. you back. Yep. Much better background, really. Oh, I know. I know. Very I fleshed out. I know. You know? I, I don't like the sound booth thing. You know, oh, it's the I don't, I don't know. I it's gotta, like you're in a, a rectangle. Room closet. Like, I know. I got to yeah. figure something else out. Like now you're in this expansive Panavision yeah. like, world. Yeah, it feels so much better. To give. It feels yeah. more, more, to, more to give. More to give. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, t- tonight's film, uh, we got episode 37 of the show, everybody. And it is going to be on uh, the uh, Nicholas Rogue's Bad Timing a sensual obsession is tonight's film, and I guess it's time to start that fucking clock, so I'm going to get it ready. Let's do it. All right, here we go. All right, just a little bit of background on the film before we get started, everybody. So, Nicholas Rogue's Bad Timing, a sensual obsession, is the psychosexual drama set in the late 1970s Vienna which follows the highly destructive relationship between a cold and manipulative American psychologist played by Art Garfunkel and the raw, free-spirited Melina played by Rogue's longtime collaborator and eventual wife, Teresa Russell. Woo! Heavily stigmatized at the time of its original release as tastelessly transgressive, the film has since been rediscovered for its innovative editing, structure, and Russell's brilliant lead performance. Uh, guys, um, I just want to start off by saying that, you know, we've covered Nicholas Rogue uh, before on this show um, and his whole origin story on a previous one fucking hour when we discussed his masterpiece, Walkabout. Yeah. Uh, so definitely encourage everybody listening now, watching now to check that out in the archives, because uh, for this uh, fucking hour, we're going to be focusing primarily on bad timing. And a lot happened uh, in, Nick, in Nick Rogue's career between walkabout and bad timing uh you know nick rogue was known for making these experimental art house films with you know his biggest commercial success being you know don't look now an amazing film um and then of course he went into man who fell to earth starring david bowie but bad timing marks a turn in his filmography into something much darker and even more polarizing um and so let's i want to kick this off to you Ramy, because this film was so polarizing and uh to to the effect that even it's Director and star, you know, sort of uh, had um, several different varying reactions to this movie. That's kind of indicative of just how difficult this movie is. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily um, a universally easy to digest movie. I think people have very strong reactions to it. Uh, Teresa Russell said in an interview that people would come up to her and say, you know, I saw this film. It, it changed my life. I had a relationship like that. I I went through something that was kind of this abusive dynamic and it was the first time I saw something that really spoke to that. And then Nick Rogue talks about having like a dear friend who saw the film and then didn't talk to him for three years, you know? And then, and so it's like, there was just, they also talked about going to screenings and watching couples watch this movie together. And the couples would kind of like start off, you know, like with their arm around each other as the movie went on, it was just kind of like, they became repelled from each other. So yeah, so I think, you know, and then, there's also the distribution stuff too, I think, which added to the fact that, you know, the movie was not necessarily received as widely. As That's right. That's right, Tom. Yeah, it was something about like the rank productions or the, or the rank film yeah. company that financed it or yeah. something? Or? The uh, somewhat amusingly titled uh, Rank Films, this, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> that name. But uh, it's a mainstay of British cinema. Uh, it goes back probably like 1930 or something. And uh, rank films, if you saw a rank film, uh, you would see a black and white kind of silvery shot. It's their equivalent of like the Paramount woman with the um, the uh, torch. They would have a black and white uh, like muscle man, you know, like a loincloth with this big gong or he'd be hitting this big gong, you know, like rank film. So my point is um, this was the first time in their lauded history of British cinema, fine British cinematic craftsmanship that they said, oh, you know, we're not having the gone guy. No way. Like uh, rank, rank refused to allow this film to be, uh, you know, preceded by their logo. It would be like if, if, if an American film, uh, Paramount went like, no, or Columbia. Yeah. That's what I meant, by the way. Columbia right. was like, no, or the, or the MGM lion. It was like, uh, that's a pretty severe, uh, uh, you know, verdict uh, from your distributor. Yeah. And, and uh, it, there's yeah. a famous quote too, from the rank, uh, High ups, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah where he was saying, it? "Yeah, I do." I think it was like the the number two guy in charge when he finally, you know, saw the film, you know, and saw what they were, you know, sort of bankrolling. <laughs> he was like, "This yeah. is a sick film made by sick people for sick people," you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that kind of sets line. it up. Yeah, it's yeah, a good rogue, rogue like that. That really that that tickled him. I saw that some video footage of him saying. Uh, uh, he, he might have point there, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, he's not wrong, maybe, according to the director. And then no. it got an X an X rating. So it was, amazingly Which is yeah, interesting. Got, yeah, like like how many films as you enter the eighties for art house cinemas, you know, uptown cinemas get an X rating. I mean it didn't even it didn't uh they wound up just having an unrated. Right. But what I like to think is that um basically it's uh Dawn of the Dead and Bad Timing are wow. two big hot potato unrated movies from around that time, 79 to 80. So that just gives you a clue about Bad Timing and how uh, it was publicly um, uh, ingested, let's say. Yeah. And it's also like a really interesting time, you know, in movies. Because, you know, we, we, we've talked about this on the, on, on, on the pod many times where, you know, um, you look at these... We, you know, we, we, we tend to cover movies from that sweet spot of like 78, 79, 80, yes. 81. About 82. <laughs> Unconsciously. Yeah. I gotta say, we never go like, well, what's, we never look at like a list like, what's well, some other 1979 shit? What's up? Yeah. And we would just be like, uh, well, of course we're doing personal best. Of course yeah. we're doing Star 80. Totally. Of course we're doing cruising, you know, and now of course we're doing bad timing. So 
it's um to me it's it's the end of the 70s mm-hmm. and it, and it really goes off a lot of these films um uh, salute the end of the decade and all the upheaval that that there that uh, was a part of it um with a bang and i had just been rewatching uh bertolucci's luna recently mm. with joe claber in an incestuous relationship with her heroin addicted teenage son and uh that's a hot potato and it was then and i think cisco and ebert were repulsed and gave it like a you know dog of the week kind of thing <laughs> so anyway this is just one of those films that um yeah. closed out this, it's one of the last 70s films i'll just put it that way but, you know and then um maybe even like two months later you know like as they're like uh doing the final touches on like something like uh you know like raiders of the lost ark no studio would even consider spending a dollar on a script right. like that time yeah totally yeah it's, it's a over. and it's it's like a feel bad movie you know so it's mm. you know yeah it, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I just want to also get into with, you know, when anytime you're talking about a Nicholas Rogue movie, you know, you, you know you're signing up for innovative editing, really, really, really creative choices with the editing and creative choices with the shots and everything. You know, he's a really um, artistically minded director, bringing a lot of different wild concepts into the structure of a movie or into the way that it feels and in the way it's put together. And this movie is probably, I would say, probably his most radical uh, up to this point in terms of and right off the bat you are introduced mm-hmm. to a very unconventional narrative device with this movie that i think is sort of important to establish off the top which is um that you basically have two narratives running in relay you know Ramy, isn't that right like you basically have yeah I, I also wanted to just touch upon the fact of like how the movie opens right like right. what your experience is going like you said right off the bat like it's I think we all talked about this, you know, it's, it's disorienting, it's image based, you know what I mean? You're, you're getting the imagery in a very pure cinema type of way where there's not dialogue there's So this narrative in terms of the story is not communicated and you're being led by these images. So, you know, you, the, the movie opens and it's the, there's like a Tom Waits song. They're in a gallery, a man and a woman looking at Klimt uh, paintings and Egon Chila paintings. And it has this kind of starkness and this elegance and, you know, daylight, natural light. And, and then there's like a hard cut which goes straight to nighttime exterior of a siren and an ambulance blaring down the street. And so even right off the bat, you're watching this and you're just like, holy shit, you know, you're jarred into this other, this mosaic. And then you're inside an ambulance with um, this woman who looks like on the brink of death, this man who's has sort of no affect and there's, and, and then, you know, and then it cuts to, you know, that, that, that Czechoslovakian border, with Teresa Russell on that border with that elegant, melodic, classical music. So right off the bat, you're like, okay, I'm in for something. Right. Yeah, I'm in for something. All of this new information and how are they going to all shake together? Exactly. Or they won't, you know. Um, and, and again, you know, uh, it's not just juxtaposition of uh, different places, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but different times, obviously. And that's a signature of Nick Rogue, you know, the fragmentation of uh, telling a story um, by having uh, time jumbles, which is... God, that goes back to, uh, well, don't look now and performance uh, and, and very, has that, right? yeah, it has that, but it, 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 he really went off with um, the man who fell to earth, right? Because it's like there's parallel worlds and parallel times, but this one, yeah, it's the same thing, and uh, we like that here. Uh, we respond to it. I think we were talking about this before, and we were saying that um, I'll speak for myself, but like his style and what we're articulating here. 
I just think I lock right into it. My mind works that way kind of, and I find it infinitely engaging and I never get bored because um, I take that ride and I'm really in sync with it. And it's, and always every one of his films and it just happened again by rewatching bad timing. So I, I really respond to it. And, and just to say it's the power uh, equally of this fragmented editing style, but also just the, the, the shot choices. I mean, he changes lens sometimes lenses sometimes in the same scene, you know, that kind of thing. And what he decides to focus on, and we're talking about really awesome, like punching in of, uh, you know, close-ups of inanimate objects, books, brooches, mm -hmm. you know, and you're like kind of, you're deciding like, am I going to try to figure this out or just let it ride and have these things be absorbed, but maybe I'm not consciously putting two and two together. I'm just sort of like letting him have this impressionistic thing happen to me. Um, and experiencing all this footage uh, along with dialogue scenes, you know, which um, it's very far out. And I think it's getting quite far from the theater, which a yes. lot of films like The Godfather is great, but that's kind of a play, you know, mm -hmm. and, and most of the time. Yeah. So uh, I just really respond to that. And it's uh, maybe, yeah, it's one of his most powerful examples of that style that he has. And Rogue was saying too that, I, I think also Teresa was saying that, um, the choice is, is the choice to mirror like the way the human psyche works. Mm. So it's, it's the way that like we recall memories, the way that we have, you know, we'll think back to a relationship, you know, in, in five minutes, we think of that fight we had, we think of that great sex we had, we think of that time we were on the quarter and right. we were hung over and we couldn't find a cigarette, you know, and it's all, and then one thing is mm. leading to the next so that the experience of the film is as if you, we are inhabiting one yeah. of these characters' psyches, and we're kind of living within that. Yeah, like memories aren't linear. Right. You know, you jump around, and one thing can trigger another. One memory can trigger a memory of something else that's disparate, or an inanimate object can right. trigger a conversation. Yeah. And that's expressed in the film. And I, I don't know many directors who tried to do that and, or successfully do it. I think um, he was really on to something mm. yeah, with the craft thing, of film. One thing I like about that style is that like uh, or his style specifically in dealing with it is it's like um, a lot of times there's a cue in a movie that there's like a flashback or like you know that it's looking at the past it's like cloudy around the edges or you see little wavy lines or you know uh, there's some sort of cue it's softer there's yeah. music there's and in this it's like really seamless so it's like it gives so much um it puts so much trust in the audience to be able to figure it out, but also he's like just really masterful in his control of the editing, you know? And um, it's like just I, the way that he weaves in the past with the present in the same scene multiple times, yeah. um, just for an example, you know, there's a scene where uh, Harvey Keitel and him are in the same apartment and like it will flash back to like the night before, I think it was the night before anyway, it, it, like, It'll flash back to the, the police investors investigating him, but it's flashing back to like, you know, um, the crime night or whatever. When Garfunkel is, is having a confrontation with, with Teresa. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wish that like uh, that sort of sophistication and editing and like trust in the audience and just mm. control could have spawned like a whole generation of filmmakers to edit that way. You know, like yeah. the, we could be looking at, a wow. whole new language of cinema, you know, but like, absolutely. But no. instead it's I'm, Rogue's signature, you know. I love what you're saying about trusting the audience because I think that's what he used to say too. He's like, I don't hold the audience's hand. I'm not interested in that. Like, I want them to come to the movie. Like, I'm not trying yeah. to go to, 
like they can find the movie they can find you know so it, and i think that's what it is you know um and then yeah. also with it the only works if you're a master though right because right? yeah, that's people true you try have to, to leave yeah. things oh, up to right. interpretation be, or whatever you need to be talented and skillful you gotta be talented yeah. oh rats <laughs> but um <laughs> no just the last little thought on that i will mm -hmm. say uh, Marcus, to get granular on what you're saying about um, how he's he approaches things differently with a quote unquote flashback, is um, sometimes the shots that are quote unquote flashback are like just a few frames. Nobody, nobody does that. You yeah, know what I mean? Pretty cool. Like, 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 just it's just a shredder. Yeah. Uh, disorienting. Uh, like it could be like you know like eight frames and twelve frames of of present past, mm -hmm. and uh, whatever whatever he needs to do the length of the shot to do what he wants to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's amazing because like, when, you, when you articulate it, it sounds like an experimental film or something. I know. You know? But, right. but it's not. It, like, it works no, no. on, you know. It's you're lonely. totally you're totally with it. And also the tracheotomy thing, I was just going to say quickly, like, because in that opening as well, you know, to mention how the impact of that opening, it's like, you know, you, you, you're going into that hospital, you're seeing her in this grave state, and the stakes are right off the bat extremely high you know it's like you're you're introduced to like okay mm. we're, we're getting into something that's that's very intense very deep and um there's that one little moment in the ambulance too where like she her robe is coming off a little bit i don't know if you guys notice and the emt is like looking down at her and art art garfagel's character then like moves her robe up and it's like this yeah right because it's like he's trying to like shield her body at that point we don't know you know what the motive is but like later on oh, yeah that me, it's like you know yeah sorry right let, let me just take one step yeah. back really quick because i think it's important to just kind of say you know what these two kind of narratives that are running throughout this movie is you know um first you have the relationship unfolding sort of between art garfunkel and Teresa russell and we're sort of seeing mm -hmm. that evolve into a very toxic very horrible controlling abusive uh, horrible situation and that's kind of unfolding but you're also seeing um, the investigation the detective story yeah. uh, um, mm -hmm. unraveling which features Harvey Keitel which lol uh, he, I think he's supposed to be some sort of Austrian detective but he's not even making an I attempt know. at an accent <laughs> like a half-assed I didn't even notice this quote-unquote half-assed accent yeah. that he brought up before I, I just I thought it was just a non sequitur like yeah. hey I was picking up this one guy in Vienna taking him back to Manhattan and I figured I'd do this <laughs> I just didn't even Italy, think yeah. yeah I didn't even think that they would try to have him portray a, a, a detective from Vienna. Albert Finney was supposed to play that part originally. But oh, yeah. no way. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's always glaring. Yeah. The reason it's glaring is because there's actual Austrian like <laughs> actors in the film. There's other movies that pull it off like <laughs> yeah. maybe like Hunt for Red October yeah. or something, you know. But right. like, it feels uh, like Casablanca <laughs> or something. Yes. Like, right. like they're in North Africa, <laughs> but everyone's like, hey, play yeah, it again, yeah. buddy. Totally. You got it, buddy. You know, fellow <laughs> American. Yeah. <laughs> So, but what's really interesting about that is like, you know, the, the way it's structured then is you're, you're, you're constantly, as these two narratives are at odds, you're, you're getting closer and closer to finding out what really happened because Teresa mm -hmm. Russell's character, you know, did she overdose? Like what happened? Like she's on, you know, because, because you see her continually in the hospital getting resuscitated and you know, something fucking terrible's happened. And then you also see yeah. terrible shit that the doctors are doing to her and what's been happened to her. Mm -hmm. And then you it's see rough, all the characters... Yeah. You know, and then and then and then we see kind of Art Garfunkel's kind of something's weird about him, and then of course, 
you know, we really start to see like the, the, those seeds are planted, but the movie's kind of shifting you around this whole time. And I think there's like a trippy sort of thing we've even talked about at one point, Tom, where it's like, you know, what, what you were saying about memory and uh, about those kind of ideas of like, what is the camera? You know, like where is mm. the camera and what is the, like, like well, from what perspective is yeah. the camera? Well, like for all films, you can have fun and ask right now, what is the camera? You know, and a lot of times, Right. It's sort of God. That's classic. And then sometimes it's like a verite filmmaker sitting next to everybody with a 16 millimeter kind of thing. But in this film, you know, you have to wonder and, and then it gets you and you start thinking that way. And, uh, what got me thinking about that is it feels like you could say that he starts having a, a, like a scattershot fragmentation of memories uh, after he hears from the doctor that she's in dire shape mm -hmm. in the hospital's hallway. And he starts going, me and her, and like there's maybe a hint, he's too sophisticated for this, but there's a hint that the rest of the film sort of is um, him um, playing with the fragments of memory that this um, intense incident have caused him to, to have this you know, irregular train of thought. And we're taking that ride. And what I guess I mean is when you see these flashbacks, they're his and he's the camera and he's sort of the God or he's the consciousness of the film in, in, in a way. And, and, and that justifies having all these cutaways in a sense, like other, I don't think other people are having flashbacks in this film. Let's just put it that way. But right. the film ultimately is the one having flashbacks. The film, right. I don't yeah, want to complicate right. things too much. I don't, or I don't want to, I don't want to simplify things too much. Right. I think that it, 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 the film's consciousness, let's just say, is triggered by his memory exploding in the hospital hallway. Yeah. Right. Marcus, and we're finding out with him. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. I was just thinking about how we spend time with Keitel, like, outside of Garfunkel. And, like, um, and we spend a lot of time in that hotel room i mean the hospital room too yeah which is actually one of my i'm not saying the whole film is exclusively his fragment yeah. memory. i'm saying that we're getting blasts of that that circle through the film right 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 when yeah, it yeah. really picks up the flashbacks and then the film originally in the you know original edit was edited chronologically which is which is so strange to think about yeah. because this is such a hallmark of what this film is like that's the, that was the script the script was a to b to c. the script was a to b and then supposedly the first like rough cut was totally chronological right. um and then they uh, i think Teresa russell sat in with him and they were like there's something missing let's go back let's unpick it let's start let's just uh, yeah you know, I think she said, um, that, I think she said where's the film we shot? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Ex that's what it was. Yeah, she was like, I don't remember. I remember there being more, but... Isn't this movie cool? It's so funny because... Um, that sounds like Print the Legend to me a little bit, you know? Like, I don't know. I could see maybe having to edit, like, the A story or something and then going, you know, or something like that. But it's interesting but, to think about because remember, Marcus, you were saying about, like, the narrative at one point, like, you had mentioned, like, you're like, oh, it's hard to... Like there's something about his character arc. Like you're not quite feeling it. I rewatched it. Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah, I rewatched it like just now, just to kind of like watch it with a little more of like a scalpel. Oh, you did. Just to kind of be like, okay, what would it be like if I really like super paid attention to like every moment and didn't kind of let it viscerally wash over me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, there is something interesting because everything's out of order in their relationship so you're the audience or at least me emotionally like you're not on that ride with them in the way that you would be going through those peaks and troughs 
in the journey of the relationship, right? So like, okay. yeah. so I'm noticing certain scenes where like at first, if it was chronological, he is sort of softer. He is sort of humored. He's not as jealous. He's not as intense. And then things start happening. Things start progressing. The character does start to change. There's a whole motif with her husband and mm. sort of him. She's lying to him about her being married. But in the in the the movie the that we see, the final movie, there's a scene where he's talking about, so when were you married? When they're in the car after she's like, oh, this is burning my pussy or whatever. Yeah, that that's amazing. <laughs> um, but then, but that scene really in chronological order, that comes later. And there's two other scenes where she says, I'm not married and mm. she's lying to him. So it's, yep. it's just, it's, so it's interesting. It's like, they're coming at that, different moments. Yeah. That is interesting. And it, that would speak, you know, maybe if that, if that was the intent, you know, that it was shot, it was planned one way and then, finally executed a different way that might speak to at least some audience members reactions to it. Like, you know, rope. So he's a master. He made a masterful film. You know, not everybody was like a hundred percent on into this film. Like I'm no one way. of those people. I, I think at uh, all. Yeah. this is a, this is a, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed with this film and the structure, the photography, the performances. There's so much good about it, but I definitely have some issues with it too. And I, it's like an unpleasant film for me to watch overall. And I think part of it is, you know, um, is that we spend so much time, what you're alluding to, Rami, is that like I was saying that we spend so much time with this character who doesn't, he's like a scumbag in the beginning, and then he's kind of like a worse scumbag. He's revealed to be a worse scumbag in the end, but there's not, I don't feel a huge character arc, and it's like that, just in that film, one oh, the film 101 in me <laughs> comes out to say, like, shouldn't he right. go through some sort of transformation? You know, I mean, I guess she does, but he we spend the whole time following him around and he's really unpleasant. And I call me old fashioned, but I like movies where like in a way I, I gravitate towards films where like I like a character or I'm sympathetic to a character. And, I, you know, and they're they're both give decent, you know, great performances, you know, you know, but uh, I don't like these characters they're both repellent to me in different ways and it's really yeah, makes are. it a difficult viewing experience for me mm -hmm. you know right. like right if i if i can i think you know and i and i totally see that too because first a of part a of what i'm going to say is that you know we are as tom was saying like you're you're in the fragmented memories of uh, of a piece of shit you know i mean that is where we are kind of you know, as the audience member. So it's we're not stuck with that. We're yeah. stuck with, right, we're stuck right, inside right. that art Garfunkel dome. And, uh, it's not a cool piece of shit. Like the taxi driver either. Right, you know? right, right, right. So we're, but yeah. Hey, Wait. but, 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 and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I, I think that with this movie, you know, authenticity is really important to a director like Nicholas rogue. And I think that a lot of people and, um, you know, I'm assuming that friend of Teresa Russell you were talking about, Ramey, who said that when I watched this movie, this was like this mirrored a real life experience that I went through. You know, yeah. so I so I sort yeah. of feel like even though the movie is, you know, you know, Nick Rogue's not a director who's going to carry your hand through things, but this movie is is very realistic and lifelike to a uh, really abusive, toxic, horrible relationship. Um, and, and, and what it would like and what it would be like to be trapped into a controlling situation uh, by somebody as awful as this Art Garfunkel character, um, you, know, you know, in this movie. So it, on, on, on one end, I think it's true to life, but on the other end, it makes it for a difficult watching, polarizing watching experience because you are having to saddle up 
and strap in, you know, to yeah. kind of be, you know, but Garfunkel. I, I don't know. I got to say, I mean, you know, Teresa Russell's in the film a lot. Yeah. That is a yeah. big, fully developed character. And yeah. so yeah. I don't know if I'm like, uh, I, don't, I, haven't really war- I don't really warm up to her either because she is kind of annoying. But she's um, a better person than him. And she's representing kind of <laughs> abstractly speaking or geographically speaking a better way. She's, uh, let's just say she's younger in spirit, age somewhat with Art Garfunkel's character. And um, also I think Teresa Russell, the person, brought a lot to the role. Oh, yeah. Um, the person's supposed to, yeah, the person's supposed to be about 21, 22 and from like California. And um, I really like Teresa Russell because she, to me, represented like a new kind of woman of yeah. the 70s, as corny as that sounds, but like she was emancipated at 16 and moved in with, she shacked up with her boyfriend. She's from like Burbank. And she just is coming from a very real place that's in opposition to this de- like sick European soul, mm. uh, the hometown of Freud in Vienna. Yeah. And 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 uh, and where Garfunkel fits like a glove, you know, in, in his in his uh, trade and in um, you know, his uh, his outlook on things, over intellectualization and twisted um, emotionality or, or lack of emotion, you know, totally. just like bottled up emotion. And she's just totally. like so often just saying, "Hey, what if I just said hi? I want to love you, and and if you want to do it too, then why don't we just hey love each other? You know, like just it's not about control." And she's pleading, and then she gets fed up. But yeah. she's pleading to just like be herself, be flawed, let him be himself and be flawed. And she's coming with this very mid 70s Southern California, uh, not flaky. No. Yeah. But like, but like, um, like not born of like yoga class, but more like born of like. Um, <laughs> well, she's just, very authentic and direct. Like she's very, yeah, and I think right. that's her. Like I think, and when you hear about her childhood too, like she was, she always talks about like she, it was tough times. Like her dad left, she lived with her mom on like food stamps in the Valley and it was hard. And she, mm. you know, she was dating guys when she was 16. Her boyfriend was a primal scream therapist. I just wanted what? to tell you that. No. no. Yes, so that's, that's a whole, that. and she lived on a ranch with him from like 16 to 20. Of course, of course she did. So, but she, she's, she, she does bring this gravitas, which I do not think many young actresses could have. She was 21 no. I think, when they started filming, 22, like during, you know, or when it was released, I think. And so like, she has this grit and this rawness and authenticity and directness. Yeah. And that's when I first saw it. That's what, what I, she blew me the fuck away. I was like, yeah. Like, you know, obviously straight time and then you watch straight time and then this, in con- you know, consecutively and you're like, what, who yeah. is this woman? You know, like I know, she- right? Yeah. Well, she had a lot of life under her belt at 22. Exactly. Um, but not just that. It's just that I think that um, and just to, again, get geographical in the, in the broad perspective of the film itself, I think that she brings so much to the character and to the film. And um, I guess uh, just to bottle on to uh, what you're saying, Marcus, I don't know if I'm like run rooting for her <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know how i feel but i yeah, feel yeah. i feel warmed up to her uh especially in comparison to this like block of ice with like right. an afro, you know who's yeah like that's true <laughs> i think she's also kind of like it's how about that? True. <laughs> block of ice with an afro yeah i'm just <laughs> saying there's 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 a, a you know um the juxtaposition. There's that um, pol- yeah. polarity. Well, I, if they were this is very yeah. similar, if there was a female Art Garfunkel dating an Art Garfunkel, I would be like, I don't want to watch that movie. That'd be hard. Yeah, I yeah. think she's also repellent though, because she's so like, um, she's reckless, right? And it's yeah. very seventies, right? Twenty two. Yeah, twenty two. Right, right. 
and um but she's also like explosive too you know like um she's got lots of moments where she's like on the edge like um it's like Yeah. isabella johnny kind of screaming But but I don't type know. stuff but i think like you know there's some the way that the there's some sort of dynamic. i don't quite explain it but someone mentioned freud a few minutes ago there's like Yeah. the way that the men and women are portrayed in this movie are and you mentioned op polar polarity and opposites and it's like All the men in this movie are like philosophers and over-intellectualized. Even Keitel, the detective, is like Yeah. has philosophizing moments. And then she's like the main woman character. I can't think of another one besides like a secretary or something, but Yeah. she's presented as like just pure impulse, <clears throat> pure id, Totally. you know, like living Yeah. like of the flesh, of the moment, you know, there's like this sort of like, I don't know. I don't know what they, I don't even know what I was trying to say, but I definitely picked up on that But subtext. I think the the id thing is so important because I think the way they're setting this movie up is it's so blatant in its symbolism. It really is like it's it's set in Vienna. It's Freud is everywhere. It's like about okay, Like we're literally pictures of Freud, literally right? pictures like looking down at the characters of Yeah, this one of his yeah. punched in insert shots, Freud is Freud. portrait. You Yeah. know, so so you're, you're there's there, I, I and we're saying Rogue That's doesn't low. hold the audience's hand, but at the same time, Right. you're the Cl the Klimt and the Egon Sheila. I just Right. want to say, right, like that whole stuff because uh, Clip was all about mosaics and the mosaics of the fragmented psyche, but love and death and sex all wrapped up together. Egon Sheila represented the more tortured element of that. And then when they're in the gallery, she says about the Klimt painting, she's like, oh, they look like they really love each other. And he goes, well, that's because they don't know each other yet. And then he points to the Egon Sheila painting of this man, like suffocating and torturing this woman. He's like, I think, Yeah, I think that's the one. They're happy. I like that's that one. funny. And then That's walks this away. movie And is so more you're, Sheila than the Klimt for right. sure. So it's, and it, it's, and she's reading the Egon Sheila book at her bed when our Garfunkel, Garfunkel finds the photos of her husband and the brother character. And that's when the jealousy gets ignited, you know, and then she's on the couch saying like, are we going to work out doctor? And it's all about like, Yep. yeah, id, ego, battling and like having these archetypes basically like But battling. also, I think there's a thread. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure he wanted things to work on multiple levels. And I guess just to harp on that and shut up about it, but just like, I feel like there is this sort of like, California is the new world, speaking abstractly somewhat, and that this rotting uh, uh, neurotic corpse of Europe is like, uh, you know, is, is, is putting her through the meat grinder. You Yeah. know what I mean? I think there's an element of that, at least. And just using that Pauline Kale quote when she was reviewing Last year at Marienbad, which she did not like, she was saying, you know, it's, oh, another one of those films about the sick soul of society. Right. You know, like, um, she had a problem with pretentious Europeans. Uh, and, and it just, it, that kept ringing in my ear because it's not that the film, the film doesn't live in the sick soul of Europe, but um, like Rogue's attitude, but uh, it is steeped in it, but it transcends it somewhat. And I think that part of that is the final shot of the film, uh, like what, what the film, the note it lands on Mm -hmm. is, is that she's okay. And she has a tracheotomy scar. She's a Pat Benatar out, uh, a haircut. Yeah. And she's walking, laughing with cool new friends into a ritzy Manhattan hotel. Like, oh, you've got to see that movie. And it's like, I know, right? Having <laughs> yeah. a good time. And look who we got here. The transplant from Europe who's in a cab. He looks at her. She's dead faced. She's just like, I don't hate you or Yeah. love you or care. I just am nothing. Uh, moving on. What was I saying? Friend, you know, the Ritzy Hotel. And and then the last time you see him, he's in a uh, 
a glass uh, case of emotion to quote Anchorman, and he's like <laughs> tapping at the uh, at the cab and going like, "Oh, what's her name? I always forget." He's tapping. Melina, Melina. yeah, Melina. Melina, Melina, and it's just he's actually the note it ends on to me is yeah he's a sick guy he's an asshole but he's just pathetic yeah and I think that the film is 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 kind of speaking for being a more complete human being in right. what in in and how she's pursuing living right. life yeah is yeah, definitely. That's all. Yeah, and, and and that's very cathartic, you know. I think to see, I'm so glad that that epilogue is I in know. the movie. Yeah, because definitely. because it, yeah. it comes off it comes off the heels of some truly grisly shit that you know when you find out really you know what what happened yeah. you know to to her yeah. at the hands yeah. of the our penultimate uh, scenes yeah. are, are yeah are but as brutal as film gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah really exactly. should have given a trigger warning last week so apologies to whoever oh That's yeah the most vile yeah yeah it really we'll definitely movie we've done we'll, we'll, we have we'll tough definitely, viewers they're fine we'll, 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 we'll definitely put something at the top of the episode but i want to don't have to hold their back. hand right well i just i want to take a step back for just one second because yeah, yeah. um in in terms because i'm looking at them staring at that clock and there's a lot yeah. i want to get into uh, is um i i i want to talk just really quickly because obviously one of the main ways that art garfunkel's character sort of starts to you know go down a dark path with this relationship is is he's triggered by the jealousy and that's yeah. the thing that sort of turns oh, him yeah. into a creepy stalker you know of some kind and so um oh, yeah. you know because we basically see these scenes where you know he's lecturing his students again that's where you're probably getting that freud thing in there because he's he's talking about that sort of thing um yeah. and he's, he's talking about yeah, he's a professor and he's talking about voyeurism. Isn't that what he was talking yeah, about? Yeah, he, he does the slideshow and he's talking about we're all spies and, you know, we're spying on human behavior and we're, you know, and then the girl in the audience is like, well, can you be up there? Are you a spy? And he was like, I'm an observer. And then it, then basically, you know, the film continues to show him digging into her personal life, getting dossiers on her, stalking yeah. her on the street. In the, yeah. and, and, and he becomes fixated, you know, like Obsessed, completely. Yeah obsessed and fixated it's a central obsession the tangular line and, and, and an hour yeah, yeah. and you know so Go ahead. but yeah like the with it being out of chrono chronological order it's interesting too because you kind of you know like with with her you're seeing she's very clear about what she wants which is also very interesting as her character like she says exactly how she feels exactly what she wants yeah she's like, this is who i am she speaks it clearly she articulates it she's never leading him astray leading him on she doesn't play games she doesn't no. and she's like she says she i don't own do. you you don't own me like i want to fuck when i want to fuck i want to eat when i want to eat i want to sleep when i sleep and like you know, like you said tom can we just love each other yeah. And, um, you know, she's has this husband and the husband relationship more and more. I'm like kind of fascinated by because there's the scenes where like in the movie, like her and Art Garfunkel, like they do have these like kind of they split apart, which is funny. They have these moments where they'll be fighting and then they leave each other. But you don't really mm -hmm. get that initially. And then you're like, oh, they're having time apart. They're coming back together. It's like codependent, yeah. kind of repelling, attracting. But then so she'll go over across the border to her husband. But she's lying to him, actually, and saying it's my relative. 
Soon he finds out it's her husband. Yeah. But the, the, the shots in the husband's apartment are so fascinating when, you know, there's like no dialogue. She's sleeping with him and he's on top of her. And you see her just looking up from the bed and her eyes are kind of off. And then, you know, she's leaving him to be like, sorry, I'm going off to do my thing. She walks towards the camera and then smiles at the camera. And that's just like this insane moment. Yeah. Yeah, and I know I I love those moments because you're like, yeah, this girl like she's got this whole thing, and this is what she does, and her husband like they have yeah, an agreement. They have yeah. either an agreement or you know it's it's happened several times before, and that's when he has the phone conversation when the husband has the phone conversation with Art Garfunkel, and he's like, don't worry, this you know, right. like yeah. you're just kind of right. you know getting line pal kind of thing. Yeah. Um and um right. yeah, and and so there, so there All is that. Right, yeah. and there's a lot of those dynamics. Well, going we see on. her making out with uh, an quote unquote. Yeah old friend right yes. in front of art you know yes. Yes. because again just to beat the dead horse it's just like she's like i don't know i'm from burbank it's 1977 like you know <laughs> yeah. like lighten up for christ's sake you know exactly. what i mean totally yeah. yeah exactly i'm just realizing her husband is marcus brody from indiana jones that's right oh that's oh. right, oh. right. Oh. wow there you go second that's reference so of the night crazy. i think him, um, of him as uh in the cast of Brimstone and treacle. Okay. What's brimstone? And treacle? Up with that! Uh, Sting's wait, what first movie. Oh my That's god! The reading, guys. We are, we are okay. Go. We are bleeding clock. But what was the stupid movie with Burt Young you mentioned last week? Uh, <laughs> Uncle Joe Shannon. Okay, someone watched that. Okay, uh, I just want to let you know that because because of wait, your why did I mention it? Uh, because it was just a, oh, about it was, a character it was maniac. actor. Oh, character. yeah. yeah. yeah You're kidding. Go. I have to hear this. All right. Let's, let's well, eat a little bit of the clock. Okay. Just well, no. help. well, he watched or it and after? said the first the first 10 minutes were amazing, like like undiscovered masterpiece level, and then it just nosedived. <laughs> okay. So I yeah. just want to say that. Hopefully that's really amazing. We can't spend time on Joe Shannon and not talk about Art Garfunkel. Okay. We didn't really go into Art. Joe Garfunkel. This is our first Art that's our first art film. Let's go deeper. You know? So we gotta talk about him a little <laughs> bit. But he, like, uh, you know, I think I was really initially kind of like put off by him. I think a lot of people probably would be. You know, I think there's. I don't even think it's generational. Like, I think there's something about him that is like, well, maybe kind of off-putting to a lot of people. And so you spent a lot of time with him. He, and I, I just when she was hitting on him early on. That was what I was sort of like. This, I just felt like it was not believable, and I was sort of laughing because that a girl, woman, sorry, would be throwing themselves at Art Garfunkel, and I can't even say his, his name. Even sounds silly, you know, it's Garfunkel. Yeah. It sounds ridiculous. Um, but so I was sort of like put off by him, and you know, you see his balls in this movie, and I was <laughs> like, uh, you know, Gar, Gar. Anyway, Garfunkel. But then I started. I don't know. Maybe this came up when we were talking about this before the show, but yeah, I kind of went through a journey where like, I realized, you know, Nick rogues, like his things, like he works with like rock stars, right? That's one of his things, like Mick Jagger, David Bowie. And he picks Garfunkel, which is like not on the level of the other two. And I was like, so I was always kind of put off by that. But then I realized like, it's probably rogue. So masterful. He saw something in Garfunkel and Garfunkel's performance is pretty good. He's, mm -hmm. he totally, you're supposed to be off put by this guy, as Tom has brought up. But uh, I think it's like what it comes down to. He's like he uh, Garfunkel's pompous, you know, because he's like famous and all. But he's also got uh, uh, 
uh, confidence issues, right? Because he, because well, of Paul Simon, he's always yeah, yeah, he's always in the he's shadow of Paul Simon. Second banana syndrome. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. So right. I think maybe he's pulling, even though he's not. Hey, I don't even know how many more movies he's in. Like, is he in any more movies? Like, uh, he's knowledge. in Carnal Knowledge. Carnal yeah. Knowledge, yeah. Right. He's a so, big deal, and he's pretty good in that too. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, anyway, I think Rogue Baby saw something in his performance. So it went from being like, why the fuck is Garfunkel in this movie to being like, yeah, maybe he was actually like the right choice. Well, I think well, that we were- there is a just, just real quick. I, I think that, you know, j- just speaking to, you know, what you were mentioning earlier about the attractiveness, because there is a real sexlessness, you know, with him. Yeah. It's really like he exudes yeah. just negative sexual energy in this movie. But I just want to say again, <clears throat> for me, it's like it's very lifelike to me. And I just want to say I still have a lot I want to get through this episode. But I just want to say that <laughs> I live in Brooklyn. I live in Williamsburg. I see this archetype all yeah. the time. The <laughs> pseudo intellectual Bushwick socialist guy who can't be bothered. Aloof, yeah. you know, like has literary an amazing hip- girlfriend, doesn't yeah, appreciate exactly, her. Exactly, exactly. Literary hipster <laughs> guy. Aloof is a good word. Well, Damage we control the, freak. Uh, we call wearing. them the Brooklyn Garfunkels. Yeah, you know? right, right. Like, mixed up with that. So I think it's you very know? lifelike. I think it's very lifelike in, no, in terms I, there, of. There are, there's tons of guys like that. Tons. Yeah. I try to stay yeah. away from them as much as I can. Yeah, exactly. But um, no, I think that, um, look, he's just, what's the role, you know, just on, on the face of it? It's just a. a uh, a professor with a lot of uh, rage and anger and obsessiveness, but he eats all those emotions <laughs> with a blank face. I mean, that's not bad casting, you know. Yeah, what I mean? and, and the, I think con- the, con- the, con- the aloofness. Sorry, to, um, did this to my no, you're good microphone. Okay. No, but yeah. I just what Mark is saying about the sure. second banana thing yeah, that yeah, maybe yeah. Garfunkel unconsciously has some strange uh, twitch to him that a rogue picked up on that he has this kind of um, uh, neurosis, this, um, you know, this like Paul, Paul Simon is fine. You know, like Paul McCartney's fine. You know, Bob Dylan's fine. But like, if you're Art Garfunkel, you have hangups by, <laughs> by the definition of being Art Garfunkel. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's, that was interesting to play with that, you know, um, like well, he's not big and he's not uh, Bowie. I, I got to step in cause we're 15 minutes. And so I'm going to be a little bit this more awful really go, really go, go. really hard on you guys so we got to be tight here um because there's a lot of i do want to talk about you know so so mainly okay real um, quick my safe word is the who though it's just okay all right i know we're gonna keep it we're, we got to get it through we got to get it through so um yeah so uh anyway with, basically with with art garfunkel i think he is a brilliant choice for this and the last thing i'll say just to put a bow on it then i'm going to switch to something else is that it is kind of remarkable for the heinous things that he does in this movie it's fucking insane and you would never see this today definitely not in today's environment someone of art garfunkel's stature like a notable celebrity hopping into this role to do to be the most unlikable fucking guy in the world and to do the horrible things that he does so that's also just weird and insane on a separate side note but Let's get in back into some more scenes in the movie because okay. there are some very particular uh, wild ass scenes in this movie. Well, speaking of Grody Garfunkel, you know. Well, let me let me get one in here. I want to get before we get to the final Please. one, but uh, okay. is because one that uh, is that incredible high octane scene, high high emotion flare scene here, where uh, you you see. Um, Melena throwing these glass bottles out the window and she's got the crazy face paint on. She's going, Marcus, you were alluding to it earlier and there's candles lit everywhere. It's kind of a weird, 
you know, like over the deep end, almost stylistic moment for the movie to sort of have that, you know? It's true. Yeah. It actually reminds me of um, uh, Death Game, The Seducers. Mm-hmm. If anybody knows that it's Sandra Locke. Yeah, it's Sandra Locke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. They they wear makeup like that and they they act up. It's like exactly. Women make up. Yeah. Sorry, Sandra Locke. Great, yeah. Further reading, you know. Definitely. There's a great move when people give an iconic like makeup job in the movie. You know, uh, but I think memorable. it's like it's also we're seeing like Marcus, you were saying like she seems out of control or these moments where she's sort of unruly, but. I honestly really think that she's being like pushed to that. Like, I think his, the way he controls her with his aloofness and with his criticism and with his, like, like, I think she gets to a breaking point in the film where she's like, I can't fucking take this anymore. And she's saying like, I'm going to wear these chains around my neck. I can't do this. If like, I, it's a push and pull. And then the scene where she's like, dressed up to, with the red dress and the bun and she cleaned her apartment and she's like right. finally this is who he wants me to be here i am and then he's just like hey do you want to fuck kind of thing and she's like i don't want to because she's like trying to prove like i can be someone that's yeah. not just a sexual object move beyond that yeah and then right. he says you know what i'm good i'm aloof i'm gonna go his so way of con- his way of controlling her right and she just wants that she wants him back so she's like fine fuck you i'll tear off my clothes fuck me right here but it's not it's not genuine from her it's it's coming from a place of anger and sadness and rage and just like how dare you it's all reactive yeah yeah he pushes the buttons and he He knows it but of course i love it it's such a horrible dynamic she gets to the height of her emotions and he's fucking dead faced it's disgusting yeah yeah just it's a grotesque circumstance exactly he's just very very spot on though i mean that that is a very keen sort of you know in creating that life sort of character it, it happens, happens all the time totally. but one thing in that scene where she's got the face paint and she's you know she's throwing out the bottles at the window and screaming at him it does also hint at another sort of change in their relationship because i do think that the escalation or the arc of their relationship is taking another turn where she's yeah. starting now to to be uh webbed into that codependency you know, sort of yeah, I, yeah. I, like idea in that back, she's please. she's taking yeah. the sure. she's taking that that turn, and I think that's also very spot on that he included that in the arc of these characters. And, and then he slaps her in another scene after she's yeah. trying to get away from him. And then there's this one scene I wanted to quickly talk about before we go to the ending. It's I don't know if you guys remember. She's in the black lace slip. They're in bed, and he's saying, "Why did you lie to me about being married?" And then she's like, "It doesn't matter. Those are just words. It doesn't matter." And he goes like, "To whom?" It doesn't matter to whom. And then he shakes her. And then there's this cross cutting to the tracheotomy, but then her kind of like going, it's, yeah. almost, like a, it's almost like a Laura Palmer moment. Like it's yeah. it like that. And, it, and then it foreshadows like the, the, the kind of scary terror that's going to happen later on. And like this is where this is going to lead. Yeah. And she's almost seeing it. Like you almost like the Laura Palmer almost like she sees yeah, what's yeah. going to happen. And it's very, and I also want to say the star 80 thing, which it's I, like a flash forward. It's a flash forward. In a sense. Yes. And like the Bob Fosse thing too, like where we were comparing the Bob Fosse and the Eric Roberts character with the jealousy and it ends in the most horrific way. So I don't know if we want to talk about the ending of this movie. Yeah, (laughs) no, totally. (laughs) Totally. We, we, yeah, we have to, um, let me just set that up. We got to pull out that phone cord. Pull out that phone cord. cord. Let let, let me, let let me definitely get to that. Cause yeah, you know, you were comparing it to a previous one fucking hour on, on star 80, which is also about a suffocating controlling toxic relationship obsessive. as well and i think they're obsessive and i think there is a lot of parallels a lot to of be parallels. drawn uh yeah. in in both films from right around the same time period you know and so um 
So, th- so the penultimate sequence of this movie, you know, trigger warning is really, really, really super intense. And it is, I mean, it's, it's downright horrifying because you are wondering as the viewer, where is this going? You know, because yeah. we know the end result, much like Star 80. We always know the end result that she's going to get murdered yeah, in Star 80. And we know right. something bad is going to happen uh, to, to uh, Teresa Russell, but we don't know what it is. And we finally see it in the, in the ending moment, and it is shown with, well, obviously we're seeing very viscerally horrible things, but there's also a very subtle thing, Tom, that we see that's a huge, um, oh, just a horrible, horrible little gesture, well, right? What, what I responded to was uh, the film really jumps into overdrive as we get in towards the end of the film, and it's just a su- succession of shots and uh, it, it really becomes like the best horror movie you've ever seen kind of thing. And it puts everything else to shame that's yeah. called a horror film, right? It's just, um, she, uh, he's come to her flat. She said she's overdosing on pills and he's there and he's, guess what? Dead faced and cold, like fucking Mark Zuckerberging up really hard <laughs> in front of her. And she's, um, and Sorry she's there and she's, yeah, no, it's fine. She's got, she's barely got the capacity to control her motor skills, you know? or at all or muscles so so what happens is like he's looking at her and he's doing this really gross thing where it's like you know like a a kid torturing a a little animal or something and he's saying like oh okay well i'm paraphrasing why don't you call up uh, guido that guy you were making out with like two years ago you know in the bar like that way you know this disgusting mind that's calculating like this is every time you made out with another guy or something like that and he's like puking that up back to her she gets up because she knows i'm in trouble and she can't stand on her feet uh she's like you know a, what is it gelding you know she's like a just born like calf yeah she can't stand up she just collapses horrifying and there's oh, just this great horrible. shot she's going for the phone uh and he you just see a shot and this asshole art garfunkel is pulling out the phone cord and you and yeah. we uh, sorry we and her yeah. know that i'm in real trouble and that's the moment she realizes, oh, my God, he's going to yeah. basically let me die. Yes. And, and then Ugh. he rapes her while she's comatose, overdosing. She can't move, but her eyes are flickering and she's Ugh. seeing what he's obviously doing to her. And, and uh, he got what he wanted, yeah. which is like a real live doll girl. Yeah, to know? subjugate and take control yeah. of. And- Who can't talk back. Yeah, ex- exactly. Disgusting. Yeah. But it's, just to yeah, emphasize. It's, it's really horrifying. Just to emphasize, to underline it like in bold, is that shot when you see him pull out that phone cord. That is a seriously dark turn that this movie takes because even though it's at the end yeah. there, you are now understanding like as Art Garfunkel, you know, you've been kind of wondering what's going to happen and you're, fo- you're along for this ride, but you, that's when he, Art Garfunkel, the character... I should I should call him Alex, not Art Garfunkel. I know. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Well, Art Garfunkel no. rapes her. No, yeah. no, no, this no, is no, not no. a documentary. Yeah, we're gonna get. Yeah, it yeah, eats yeah. up a full second every time yeah. you say his name. Uh, too. I know, I know, but it's <laughs> so fun. Yeah, it's so fun. But Alex, this Alex. is this. This is a moment when Alex, the character, we're gonna get sued. Uh, when Alex uh, shows <laughs> his hand, you know, that's when he really, yeah, yeah, shows you his yeah. hand and what he's all about, and really that what's at the disturbing core of this character, and that just that that subtle, um, just from a filmmaking point of view, storytelling point of view, that is incredibly effective to show because that says everything. 
just by the yeah. fact well, that it's, he's like, it's, pull it's, out that it's, phone it's terrifying. It's blood yeah. curl. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Again, it's the best yeah. horror movie scene ever, and it's not yeah. a horror movie. You know? Yeah. And so, um, go oh, ahead, yeah. Tom. I got you. Don't worry. But the, the the one thing with that too is that you know, like you were mentioning earlier in the episode, Tom. It's like, thank thankfully we get that epilogue, which really yes. shows. Yeah. You know, yeah. art yes. in the smallest, you know, microscopic shit heel way possible, and we can go home. Smashing at, at the glass. Yeah, like, we can go home. Yeah. And he looks. Good it's about kind that. of. He looks infantile, kind of. You know, yeah. right. and, and, and impotent. You know. Yeah. And uh, and that does make you feel a little bit better. And then there's of course because it's a rogue film. There's just a shot of a lake, and then black. You know. Right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Well, so so we're, the clock, the clock, she's a ticking. So yep. uh, here's what I'd like to get into. Maybe. For okay. you, I'm going to set you up. Let me advocate. Uh, well, go ahead. I just I want to set you up for this because I know what you want to. Uh, I know what you want to get into here, but I, I want I you to. I, I I I I want you to marry it into a couple of little tiny topics, if you can, too. And uh, that is something so, that you always bring up, which is the mysticism of mm-hmm. rogue film. So please, something take it away. Spooky is happening here in the BTS, the behind the scenes of this film. Uh, the, there's parallels and, and actually I call them like echoes and it really feels like reality has become a Nicholas Rogue film in, sur- in the surrounding of this film. Exhibit A, and it's it's tragic, is that Art Garfunkel uh, in New York uh, was dating Lori Bird, a sometime actress. You'll see her in a two-lane blacktop. Mm. Uh, that's her only real big film. She's an interesting sort of enigmatic character. She became a photographer. She took the photo of one of his album covers. She was on one of the, these other album covers of his. Right. They were in a relationship. They lived together. They had a flat in Manhattan. She's there. He went filming, bad timing. She wound up taking over those Valiums in the apartment and dying during the shooting of this film. Now, those, that's just like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Because, like, what? Like, you know. But then there's a little bit more. There's um, just that, okay, she has her husband in the film. There's a literal... Or, uh, yeah, it's like 30 years difference, 22 right. to 52 uh, in the film. The character, Teresa's character and Denham Elliott's character, 30-year difference. She winds up marrying the director of the film, and they happen to have a 30-year age gap. What the fuck, man? That's <laughs> like, crazy. like it wasn't 28 or 31 years. It was like, okay, that's interesting. But then my favorite, and everyone's favorite, <laughs> is um, there was a sensual obsession for reels in this film and it wasn't uh it wasn't someone you might expect it was pete townsend of the who okay and uh pete townsend is because there's a bunch of who songs in the movie right well there's who are you in the movie and so he he was ancillary to like the scene that nicholas rogue had and he went to a party he wanted to talk and work with nicholas rogue maybe further on another project but he was basically in the in the circle because of the who's on the soundtrack so he goes to this party not unlike a party in the film and not unlike the party scene in the film pete townsend immediately falls in love head over heels gaga for Teresa russell so he's obsessed with her he's he's sad though because She's dating and will marry Nicholas Rogue, a man 30 years her senior. He's obsessed. He's Pete Townsend. So around the time of making that awful Face Dances album, uh, he said, I'm going to make a song. Hey, hey, check this out, Roger Daltrey. Like, I'm going to make a song. I'm going to try to get her through a song. I'm going to call the song Teresa. 
there's a demo called Teresa and it wound up being that awful song years later on that awful album called it's hard the awful titled album and it's called Athena so just now you know if you ever hear Athena you're gonna know that that's actually a cry like in the in the cab yes that's Pete Townsend's cab scream to Teresa Russell so she has a spell that she put on the character and the real guy but these parallels are too nuts right yes yes I could see Pete Townsend sliding into the role of Alex quite easily too if things happened a little differently with this movie sorry Marcus go ahead he's a hung up guy I I was was digging in when Tom brought up Athena I was digging into it and uh, I looked up the lyrics and you know there's a lot of problems with the who but the like the lyrics are like the worst to me for always but anyway they had one of the worst lyrics of all time I felt like a pickled priest you got me flambéed Oh yeah, who who does weird, that? Weird Al. That's like weird A, Al don't think of those lyrics, and then if you do, two, don't apply them to your song. Just to your love go. song. Yeah. yeah, Teresa Russell. I know. To, 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 that's that's what he's saying to Teresa Russell. So yeah. maybe just we're running out of time, but we didn't really get into Harvey Keitel. It was uh, interesting, and it's always yeah. great to see Harvey Keitel. He gives guess right. what a great performance. Sure does. He is long. He's a, he's a long-haired. Longer. Viennese um, <laughs> like detective, but I love him. He's very intense, and he has he's pivotal in the in the triangulation of how this film kind of got the title "Bad Timing," and he oh. just he's just great because yeah. he's 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 basically being a good cop, bad cop at once with um, Garfunkel. He's trying to get a confession out of him because he knows he did something to her yeah. in the time before he called the police and he got there, and he almost gets the confession. Then Denholm Elliott comes in and says she's going to make it, and. Uh, one second before the confession by Garfunkel and Denim Elliott saying she's actually going to live, then the evaporation of the confession and getting this, nailing this fucking little worm man. And uh, it's just played really well. And it's just, it's a joy to see Harvey Keitel. I don't know. I don't know any other thoughts really. Well, that's like, and that's illustrating the bad timing of the situation, which is almost kind of humorous. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Ramey, yeah. wasn't there also a bad timing situation that Nick Rogue had with uh, Steven Spielberg or something like that? Was oh, that? he always said that like, you know, oh, yeah. He always said about himself, he's like, I had bad timing. I, I, my movies had to, the audience had to catch up with him 30 years later, where Spielberg always had the best timing. You know, the minute <laughs> yeah. he released his movie, everyone was ready to embrace it. And it's Spielberg, Jaws time. Yeah, now it's, it's Jaws time. time. It's close encounters. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and so yeah. Rogue was obsessed with the idea of bad timing, happenstance. There was a coincidence. You know, them meeting the film was sort of bad timing. Teresa Russell says it was the most amazing experience of her life, but it was so oh, terrifying and torturing that she can't even like. Yeah, and then yeah. Art, like Art said that it took him to the brink of violence and insanity, and I think Whoa. it like changed him forever. Supposedly, he, when, when Nick Nicholas Rogue died, that's what he said. He said that movie took me to the brink, basically. And Holy I think they both I'm not surprised yeah. that they both of them specifically went through something. Yeah. Well, that's it. We, um, right. we finished out the last four seconds with a little shave and a haircut routine. Yeah, <laughs> we have good timing. We have good timing. Um, perfect timing. Perfect timing. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. Have all right. everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Don't check my messages. Okay, that was <laughs> one fucking hour on bad timing, a sensual obsession. Um, hope yes. you enjoyed the episode. I had, I had, I guess fun. I guess fun is a good word to use for that. But I thought that was great. It's you know, engaging. Um, you know, it's yeah. an engaging film. And we'll be back. We'll be back to the Nick Rogue well, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, doing a man in fell to earth would be very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that's a more flawed film, but very, there's all kinds, there's, there's other stuff happening beyond relationships in that film. Totally. Let's do that. I want to see that Marilyn Monroe, uh, Einstein one. No, you know, that's not so not so good. good. You know what I need to see is Eureka. Oh, I've never seen it. I like that. A lot of people like like that. that It's cool. Yeah, I got but, yeah. it, but I think for the audience too, what, one last thing I would say is, is like people should go down the Teresa Russell road. Yes. Just, like watch all of her movies. She did all those movies with, with Nick Rogue, which are interesting, but then Impulse she did that Sandra mm. Locke directed, where she's a private uh, vice oh, I need uh, to see that. cop. Oh, that I, I, see that. Rec- I recommend. I love that. So yeah. Okay, kill it, kill it. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, Straight Time, oh. her first big oh, role. Oh my God. Uh, which we covered you know, on one fucking hour. Covered, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She kills him. Uh, yeah. We're, we're, Teresa, we're the Teresa Russell fans here. Oh, totally. And uh, in the description of this video, everybody, definitely. Uh, or if you're listening on Spotify, definitely check out the one fucking hour on Walkabout, Nick, uh, the other Nicholas Rogue film we covered. Uh, also, Star 80. There's so many intersections, uh, thematic you do intersections. Performance too. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. There's so many thematic um, intersections between the movies we've covered true. in this show. Uh, all I that mean, jazz. Even all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, Bob Fosse's all that there jazz. There is a developing spider web lattice work. There really yes. is. Uh, and really interconnected. Uh, movies from 1979. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. There's all kinds of things. You know, like, I just, there's a lot of that. That's that's our jam currently, 79 to 82. It's a great time. And we'll be back. We'll yep. be back. Everything yep. from Maniac to uh, Personal <laughs> Best, you know. It's know, crazy. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're very great. home there. And so, so let's talk about next week. So, um, with bad timing, that is sort of the capper on our what we're calling summer of bummer uh, mm-hmm. uh, run streak of movies that we've covered from Taxi Driver to Maniac and to this. And so now, <clears throat> next some week, kind of monster. and some kind of monster, sure, major bummer. Bummer. Uh, <clears throat> yep, totally. Um, Not fun. Yeah, not fun. Uh, but actually, no fun. Um, but we are yeah. going to be uh, flipping the script into something much more enjoyable and something uh, th- that'll put a big old a smile on your face. movie from 1983. Oh, Joe, we're broadening. Oh. Okay. It's okay, a terrible okay. joke. I got Never you. mind. Yeah. Well, we do movies from 79 and from 97. Yeah, right. right. There is a lot of those. Except, in this, except in this case. That's right. Next week. Um, so next week, we are looking at um, a, a, a film that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and we're going to be joined by a very close friend of mine to, uh, to support uh, for this one fucking hour. I'm very excited about it. But this movie is very formative for me, very important. Um, I am aesthetically ready for this movie yes. and, and, and more than this one is, way. This is go time for you. This it is. is. Your 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 body is like seven percent this film. <laughs> Maybe you <know>? more. <laughs> yeah, or at least yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to be looking at the documentary by Chris Smith uh, from 1999, <laughs> but obviously filmed more in the mid 90s. American movie, y'all. So <clears throat> and uh, having our special guest, our super friend of the show, Joey Izzo, on to uh, help us out with that episode. So looking forward to that next week. Um, and then, guys, the week after. Next week is my birthday episode, so get fucking ready. Oh, oh no. yeah. <clears throat> whatever you want. That's the rule. Okay. Them's the rules. Just do okay. whatever you want. We can't say no. There's okay. no discussion. Frozen. It's going to be frozen, just, isn't it? Uh, oh Oliver Stone's Maybe. W, just, I think, is what I'm going to be picking. Uh, God, no, U-turn. <laughs> U- How about this? Um, cool. I did Cracking Up, Jerry Lewis's um, you know, 80s film. Uh, Marcus did, uh, what was it? Uh, this little thing, uh, mm-hmm. Star Wars? 
Yeah. You know, that's right. yeah. Yeah. so so it's just an indulgence. Mm -hmm. It's just whatever you want. Yeah. I'm very curious to know what it is. Fahrenheit 911. We're going to do Fahrenheit 911. So, um, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, Nick, Nick, Nicholas Rogue uh, shot that. Did he? What? Yeah. Wait, what? Get out Nicholas of here. Rogue. Nicholas Rogue shot that. Fahrenheit no, 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 no. He's talking about <laughs> Michael Moore. Yeah. There's a slight difference Wait. in film. Wait, yeah. <laughs> We watched yeah. that in school. Marcus, focus. Uh, Michael Moore Fahrenheit. film? No, Wait. Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Oh my god! Let's please sorry, get on this Patreon. Okay. 1965. <laughs> Truffaut. <All right. laughs> shitty, like Michael Moore. Yes. Polemic. Like 2000. <laughs> okay. Okay. If, I was kidding. Page. Okay. Um, but we uh, next week, everybody, American movie. Uh, get yeah. your pre-watch in. I mean, you know, I think it's it's hard to find now. Unfortunately, in this day and age, it's hard to find a movie like American can movie. I, can which I, makes no fucking sense. But go ahead. Wow. All right, let me just let me just break it down. The whole film is in nine minute chunks, eleven chunks of nine minutes on YouTube. There you go. You can do it. It's okay. right there. It works. It's a simple film. You know. Okay. Um, it's on YouTube. Okay, so get your pre-watch in for American movie next week. Uh, it's going to be a blast. Joey's going to be here. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. And then That's get ready fun. for the Joey. unveiling the unveiling of my birthday movie uh, for the following week. Ramey, thank you so much uh, for Thanks, joining us and coming back to the show. Yeah, it's talking great about to have you. And uh, having me. I, I love your upgraded background. It's, uh, <laughs> me too. You deserve <laughs> it, you know? Oh, thanks, Tom. That's just, yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, right, but bye, we can't, we can't let night. you go. Okay, we will. But we can't let you go without your moment of zen. What the hell is that going to be for this fucking movie? Oh, um, I have an idea. <laughs> oh, of course. How could I, how could I be so stupid? <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, have a great night. Have a great rest of your week. And um, oh, I wanted to shout out real quick before we go that. We're going to change. Uh, the episodes are going to now be dropping on Mondays. So after this episode, Monday is your new one fucking hour day. Okay, so get ready for that. But okay, we will see you next week, everybody. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You. Goodbye. Love you. Bye. See you later. Bye. Teresa, I had no idea how much I'd need her. Take me home and teach me how to feed her. My heart is palpitating in her guest room. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. That was wicked, man. <laughs>